Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Happy 2022, Relatable community. We have exciting news. The Relatable sponsor, formerly Teresa Freeman Associates, now has a new name, TFA Soft Skills. You can visit us at www.tfasoftskills.com for exciting new soft skill tips and services. Our first guest for 2022 on Relatable is Chad Small, who is about to celebrate his 20th anniversary with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. We talk about his fascinating career in a thriving industry, and we discuss his passion for teaching and leading others. We even get some great advice on his important daily rituals and why investing early is the path to financial success. Chad was our first TFA Soft Skills in-studio interview. When we have video interviews, we'll be dropping those on our new YouTube channel, TFA Soft Skills. Take a moment to subscribe and let us know what you think. We appreciate all of our listeners and are excited to provide another year chock full of interesting and entertaining interviews. Enjoy this episode. Uh, Welcome to Relatable. This is our very first on screen in the soft skills studio uh, conversation. So we're super excited. Thank you to Chad Small, who's here today to talk to us uh, about his career and his life and how he's navigated life's twists and turns, which, you know, at Relatable, that's what we're all about, is trying to hear more about people's challenges and successes and, and how you've navigated that. So thank you so much for coming. Pleasure to be and here. for being our guinea pig. Yay. <laughs> and we're excited because we, Missy and I have spent uh, the last couple of weeks getting all of our tech set up, so hopefully it'll all work. And um, then we'll be able to stream this both uh, video on YouTube and then the audio version on the regular podcast that people are so familiar with. So let's start first with what you're doing right now. I always like, I think it's always a good place to start just in terms of like what your, what your current role is, what you're doing, and then we'll sort of work backwards from there. Sure. Right now, I uh, just recently took over the commercial truck division for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. It's been around for about 15 years here, but wasn't really taken off. Um, So I took that over. Uh, March 1st of last year, right when COVID hit. Oh my gosh. Um, before that, I was a regional rental manager managing about 60 stores in the DMV. So, And that was your, you've been there for how long did you? I've been with Enterprise for uh, my 20 year anniversary on January 17th. So <laughs> congratulations. Yes, yes. So that's not always common, right? I think we've like learning more now. People often leave and, you know, it's a couple years here and then they try something else out. And, they, and, and certainly when I was growing up, there was more, um, or certainly professionally, as I started in, in my career, there was a little bit more around tenure, loyalty, where you're going to stay. I think that's changed a lot. So what is it for you at Enterprise? Like, what what has that experience been like such that you've wanted to stay there? And and how has that been interesting for you? Tell me a little bit about, like, the different roles you've had Sure. There. Well, it wasn't why I went to college, right, to go work for Enterprise. But when I took the job, I realized that the people I worked with were amazing, there was a ton of upside, mobility-wise, mm-hmm. for promotion and opportunity to make you know, a reasonable amount of money. And in my 19 years, that's never changed. There's been times where I didn't have good days. There's times where there was some rough assignments. But in the end, I always look back as, why did I take this job? It was the people, the opportunity, and the money. And mm-hmm. all of those are still there. And so I think, to your point, so many people, even my age, have jumped from two years, two years, two years, and just the grass right. is always greener. And now they still have very little in their retirement. They still have very little equity in their own company. And that's why it was important to me to just give them a chance. And they took care of me the entire way. And that's something that I really would like to see the next generation of kids, you know, just stick it out a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of the, like, what was stick-to-itiveness, right? Of just, yeah. And I think one of the things that I talk about a lot and, and writing about now more, which is you don't always know the impact of where your decisions are today, right? Sometimes it's a delayed gratification or there's something that comes down later that you're not necessarily, you don't know until you experience it. So sometimes sticking it out, things come to fruition that wouldn't otherwise have had have you like cut and run and yeah. early. What was your degree in in college? It was advertising. So communications major with a focus in advertising. I was a communications major. Hey, it's the easiest <laughs> way, easiest way out of Washington State <laughs> University. Uh, okay, so you're a communications major, advertising minor, or was it nope, like just, a focus? It just it was both. Yep, just communications with the focus in advertising. Oh, uh, okay, okay. 
And so what was your dream job when you were leaving college? I got my dream job out of college. I was uh, working on the fourth floor of an advertising agency in the creative department. It was exactly what I wanted to do, making a blistering $23,000 a year, <laughs> living in my cousin's unfinished basement in Seattle because real estate was still bad back then. Yeah. And was really loving it, having fun. Went to a couple of shoots, wrote some copy. It was really good time. And then unfortunately in 2001, we remember what happened on September 11th and uh, the advertising industry took it with everybody else. We lost our four biggest clients and they ended up shutting off the creative department and the fifth floor and only kept the print media. So I was out on my ear after eight months in my first job. So then what did you do? Like what, what was your reaction to that? Well, I had two choices. I had moved from uh, southeastern Washington State to Seattle to, you know, take over the world. And my choices were to move back home and you know, get a job in my small town or go back to the college bar I used to manage. And both of those options seemed a little iffy. Um, and while I interned at Elgin DDB, I had a friend intern at Enterprise. And he talked all the time about how much fun they had. And they would go out for you know, drinks after work, or they'd buy us food all the time. And I was just like, I don't want to hear about your carnival scheme anymore, <laughs> dude. And then finally, here I am in Seattle. I got two weeks to find a job and I got online and had to do five interviews, which seems like a lot to go rent cars. Right. Um, and then, you know, been there ever since. So that's pretty cool. In terms of like, I always like to talk to people about the pivoting, right? When, when you're faced with something that um, you weren't planning for. And so the fact that do you have a family business that you could have gone back to as well? Like, was there something that that was not attractive, but would have been a safe bet had you gone home? Yeah. So my uncle runs a pretty successful winery back in southeastern Washington State. Both my parents are in education, so the school system would have for sure taken me. But there's, right. you know, 25,000 people live in that town. And I just left a college town about that size. And I think it was important for me to kind of make my own money, go do my own thing, knowing that that would always be there. But it's like, you right. got to take that risk and go try it. And I, I thought that I could and bet on myself. And then your friend that was there, did he refer you in? And so the five interviews were post his referral even, right? Yep. So it's not like it was like a shoe in. Yes. And then was the role that you went into like a sales type position? Yep. It was just, uh, imagine the person at the counter that's renting you the car. That's yeah. what it is. It's a management trainee position. Uh, they only hire college graduates and it's a nine month training class, which to imagine have your degree and have a little management trainee on your business card for the first nine months, you know, it, it wasn't super sexy, but I knew it was something that I saw some opportunity in. And I knew that the people who worked above me seemed to drive nice cars and live in big houses. And I was like, I feel like I'm smarter than those guys and I'm going to give it a shot. So, so let me, okay. We've had this conversation before. So just around I, and I can't remember the exact nature of our conversation, but we definitely had a conversation about money and sort of being motivated by doing well and making money. And that being like enough of a motivation to sort of fight for what you want and to be more aggressive. And so tell me just a little bit about that for you. Like, I know it's not all about the money, right? There's other things that you talked about in terms of the collegiate nature of having people that you like <laughs> to work with. But where does that drive come from, I think, to be to want to be successful or to, for that to be enough to keep you going, right? Because it's like you said, it's not an easy industry and it's competitive. And there's also not a lot of, like the whole ad thing is a little more sexy, right? There's a little bit more metropolitan sort of allure to that. Definitely. Better looking business card for sure. (laughs) Whatever your external motivators are. And for me, it was money. For me, it was status. For me, it was opportunity. It just needs to get you to show up the next day. And uh, Enterprise has an amazing pay for performance plan where whatever your store made a year ago, they give you a modest percentage of that. And if you make more than they did last year, then you pay yourself more. And money was a huge motivator for me for my first three or four years. I got promoted many, many times. And then all of a sudden, my priorities kind of changed once I became a father. And money was still a motivating factor. But then it's like, okay, now I'm responsible for a couple mouths to feed and it just really changed. And so it's still really important to me. And I think it needs to be motivating for you a little bit, but it doesn't have to be your number one priority. It needs to be maybe top five. If you want to be successful in sales and business, I think you just have to be motivated by that. Do you think there's, because you played sports, Mm -hmm. so there's like a competitive component to it, right? Is there something about that? Like we have a friend that has his own financial advisory business and, and he he was talking to us about 
his process for building out clientele and that there's a lot of meet, you know, for every 15 meetings, there's like two meetings that result or whatever the ratio is. But he loves that process of like, here's my list of everything I'm going to do today to kind of get that next thing. And there's a, I think there's a competitive component to it, or there's like a, it's like you fighting against yourself, really. It does. It's not even necessarily about other people. Yeah. They, so most companies will stack rank you and have matrix upon matrix on who you're competing with. And that was important to me to see where I was. And, you know, obviously you want to move to the top of that list. Um, but again, it's, however well I did is how well I was compensated. And so I was kind of competing against myself and, um, it, the matrices are, they do help move you a little, but in the end it's, you've got to be self-motivated. You've got to want this for you. You've got to want it for your family. And then you have to just show up every day and go get it. Yeah. So that let's talk a little bit about your whole kind of what I would characterize like your energy and like, you know, your, you seem like someone who's super motivated. Like you, you're, you're always up for anything. Like you, you definitely have like a ton of energy. So there's that, but, but it's, it's more than that. I feel like there's very much like this go grab life attitude. And so where does that come from? I think I'm a perfect mix of both of my parents. Like they're both, you know, lower middle class, went through education, ended up getting their PhDs later in life. And they just really always taught us to be happy. They always taught us to be nice. They always taught us that we could do anything. And to me, it didn't make sense. I knew that school was going to be hard. I knew that work was going to be hard. And it's really hard to do all these things you want to accomplish, but it's not hard to be nice right? That takes nothing. And so if you can just use that as where you're going to start your day, you'll see that the other things will kind of fall in line. If you just, you start your day with a smile and I I definitely have to, you know, thank my parents and thank my grandparents because it wasn't something that I studied for. It wasn't something that I think you can, you either inherently have it, but I think if maybe that's not you, you can realize that maybe that's an opportunity for you to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I probably could take my day a little different. It could be a, uh, the glass is half full and not half empty. Yeah. You know, I've talked, I think I've even talked about it on the podcast, but Paul and I've had this discussion a lot because I'm definitely someone who wakes up relatively happy and it's easy. It's not, it's, I don't have to work at it. Like I just, I'm, you know, there's just something I think innate in me and I'm so grateful for that because I think there are some people that it's a harder draw to get up and, and whatever the challenge is, it's like, it's much easier to start from a plate of like, today's a clean slate. <laughs> It's a little like Pollyanna, maybe a little like too cheery, but, um, I think like for those and for him, because, you know, we're married, he said, sometimes I feel like you have like a secret, like you have some sort of secret that like the rest of us don't have. And I, I don't know how to describe it necessarily. I do think there have been times when, when the option to like be the victim or the option to sort of just curl up and say, I'm not going to do this today has presented itself. And I think there's something in me that's like, no, I'm not going to be defined by that. So there's like an inner fight there. But I do think for those that maybe don't have that innate, like wake up and go, you can still cultivate it or you can at least make it an intention. Definitely. I think it's, it's, you have to find out what that is. That's either making you not want to get out of bed or making you get to bed and then make choices. I find out when I exercise the night before 545 alarm feels like, man, let's go. If I go to bed really early or stay up late watching a football game, okay, these are all things that either make my day great or kind of slow me down a little bit. I've got yeah. a pretty good ritual where the coffee pot is already on. At six o'clock, I grab it. I listen to the same music on the way to work every day. I, when it's nice out, I love fresh air. So just identifying what that is for you to put you in the best spot. And I agree with you. Like some people just have an innate ability to be happy and start their day. And, you know, okay, that's us. But if right. everyone else, you have to identify how can we eliminate what's detracting from that from you? And then you do that every day to try to get you to the best spot forward. You might not ever be Pollyanna, but if you can just be right. half of how miserable you were before <laughs> that, then there you go. Yeah. Okay. So now I have a couple of questions. First, in terms of school and work, you mentioned that you knew it was going to be hard. So it begs the question, which I I love this question because I'm fascinated by it in terms of your own path in school. Did school come easy to you? Is it something that you had to really work at? And if so, what are some of the things that helped you to be successful? Because you, you were a successful student, right? Uh, yes, I, uh, I did not apply myself. And I spoke too much in class for all you kids <laughs> that get that on your progress reports. There's hope. Don't give up. Um, 
I did not have a major. I talked a bit myself. Oh my goodness. Shocking. Uh, yes. Is what I, would admit. Um, I didn't have a major picked out when I finished high school. And so I asked my mom and she said, I want you to be an architect. And so I took two years of architecture class and it was the most in grueling. College? In college? The two most grueling Holy. years of my life. My last semester, I was up late working on a project. All my brothers. Is that, and- ma- is that all math or is it? It's everything. It's yeah. engineering. It's math. It's just it's not fun. It was not for me either. Yeah. Uh, and so I finished my uh, semester project. All my friends were out doing stuff and I got a C minus on that project and I gave it everything I had. And then it was about assessing like, okay, like, am I really just going to go be miserable for two more years to probably not even get a job in this industry? And that's when I looked at what general education stuff I'd already done. I knew communications would again be a go-to yeah. backup. Anyone can do communications. I always joke, right, um, right. whether it's PR, it's advertising. And so I just switched to that. And ever since that point, like school was very easy for me because it's, it's you know, tougher. it's I just had this conversation with my middle kid um, who doesn't really like school. And I frankly didn't really like school um, for a long time until I found the thing that I like to do. And so I think if you're someone who is struggling, whether you're younger or more advanced, like finding the thing that makes your heart sing, finding the thing that you love it it makes it so much easier. It doesn't feel like work, right? You're willing to put in some extra time or you're willing to stay in or have to sacrifice going out because it feels that you enjoy doing it and it makes such a difference. What are some of the things you do, which maybe you already said this, but I am curious, like from a challenge or when you're faced with adversity, what are some of the things that you do that you feel like are kind of best practices or things that have helped you? Um. I think it's identifying what those things are, like the external factors that, that, are, can, get, that are getting and control way. what you can control. Like right yeah. now, there's so many things we can't control and it's so easy to be frustrated at that or to be the victim or to just give up. And it's like, well, what can I do? What can I control? And if that's only a few things, then you control those few things and you say, hey, I did everything I could today. Uh, yeah. I, it's funny when you mentioned school, it definitely, it was easy because I feel like I had such a rapport with all of my teachers that it probably helped me a little Mm -hmm. bit when it came time to grade. And because I was kind of a schmoozer, I still am today. I'm a a people pleaser and I come from two folks that do the same thing. And I think that's one of those lost arts right now where our kids and especially middle school, which I have one and high school, they don't have much communication with their teachers or adults in general. And then they don't have that rapport. And then guess what? That C minus is a C minus. As opposed to actually looking into the context of it and says, man, I know Chad's this or that. And I think that probably helped me a little bit, but I was a, I was an average student. I wouldn't say I really applied myself at any point. And then the other thing I'll add to that is right now, if you're doing calculus or pre-algebra, whatever that is, you're not going to use that later, but you have to do this. You have to jump through these hoops to accomplish your goals later. And I think that's something that people don't see is that forest through the trees. And it's like, well, you need to be good at this now. So you can accomplish the things that you want to do later. I agree with you. It's silly. I think they should overhaul the entire education system. But until they do, we can't control that. So just go do your best, get through those hoops, and then eventually, hopefully, you can find something that you love to do. And guess what? It might not be what you want to do. It might not be what you think it is. I never thought I would love my job renting cars. And now I absolutely love it because I get to, I have so many employees and I get to help them navigate their 20s and 30s and help them with life decisions and kids and cars and houses. And it's, it's, that's my job now is people. I know we're so going to, we're talking about that next. Cause I, we've talked a lot about leadership and, and that part for you and how that's really been fulfilling. And so I want to talk to you about that. I think one other thing before we get there, just in terms of the industry, the rental car industry and, and the career and what's, what it's afforded you. So for someone that maybe doesn't know about, about it, or is thinking as, of it as a possibility, what is the, like, what are the characteristics or the qualities that someone that is successful in that business have, right? What are some of the things that you guys look for when you're looking at entry-level talent? Because right now, I think the whole auto car industry, because of the pandemic, is sort of insane, right? Like, there's so much need, right? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. 
I think I think every industry is in panic mode right yeah. now, not yeah. just mine. I think that I'm looking for the same things that every other company is looking for. And it's it's those soft skills why we're here today. Yeah. It's, I want the ability to be able to communicate. I want you to be able to look me in the eyes and talk to me about your experiences. I want you to have a little bit of work ethic and a little bit of a, you know, not just I worked at an ice cream shop every summer for three summers. And I was like, man, tell me a time when you really it stressed you out. Like you didn't, we had ice cream and people <laughs> love me. And so it's just, it's that work ethic. And then the flexibility slash grit is something that we talked about right in the beginning yeah. of this, that I just feel is just dying out. And so if I can find someone who's got some life experiences or they worked this job or she did this for a long time. And uh, I just think you see that resolve and grit. And that's what we're looking for right now. And every industry is, I think that, you know, I was just at Starbucks a few weeks ago and it took me 15 minutes to get my coffee and I ordered online and it should take you two minutes. Right. But there's only two or three people there and I could see people were getting really frustrated. And I thought the other way, I went right to the breeze and I was like, you're killing it today. Keep it up. And it's just yeah. because everyone's, that's just where the entire world is right now. We just yeah. need a little bit of patience. Your coffee's coming. Your rental car is <laughs> going to be there. Be late. Um, but yeah, that's, those are those soft skills that I just, I don't see a lot of. And on the work ethic thing, I, there's just a ton of productivity that we're missing. And I, when I feel like how much work I was able to get done as a brand new store manager 17 years ago, and now my manager, like, you can't do that all in a day. And I was like, I hate to give them all those, well, I was your age type of deals, <laughs> stay off my yard. But it's, <laughs> it's because my employees were more productive. They didn't have yeah. all the distractions out there. And we know what those are. We can talk about it until we're blue in the face. But those are the kind of things that I think will separate the next generation, whatever you decide to go do. And, and I definitely love my sales job. And that's what it started as. But now it's a people job. And so. Yeah, two things about that. And I, I didn't, shouldn't have glossed over it. In terms of your comments about the likability, right? Being, being likable and being helpful and building relationships with your teachers, with your boss, with your, I mean, it happens easily with your friends and people that you want to be mm -hmm. with, but sometimes it's a bit of an art form to do it with maybe the people that aren't necessarily, it's like not in it for you, right? Mm -hmm. At the time that you're doing it. I think that like you, I mean, what saved me in high school anyway, was the fact that I was likable and that I was earnest and that I cared about people. And so teachers, I would build a relationship with teachers. And so that absolutely C minus became a C plus, or they took an interest to say, why don't you stay mm -hmm. today? And I'm going to work one-on-one -on -one with you and help you. And so for people, I think that are afraid of teachers or they're afraid of authority, or they're afraid of building that relationship because they either they're uncomfortable doing it. it. It's just push yourself through that because it makes a world of a difference. And it's the groundwork for what you're talking about, which is the same thing now at work, right? When you have people that are willing to go the extra mile, they're willing to help out. There's just something about being generally available and, it, and, and, and have an ability to connect. It just takes you places, right? And, and when you don't have that, it limits you. Yeah, I think you have a free experience to try this with your teachers now. You I have nothing to lose yes. besides some life skills that aren't <laughs> going to affect your promotability later. Right. But if you do nothing now, move six years, well, those people are going to be six years older as well. Mm. And you have no common ground with them. You have no, and you're going to start fresh and you're going to find yourself struggling to get through the first interview at a job. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the people side of it. And what are some of the themes that you see pretty regularly where people need some coaching and the kind of coaching that you love to give? Man, it's changed so much over the last probably 15 years. And I know that you like to work backwards. So I'll say, I, do like to work I know, right? See, this is me, like 80 years, as usual. Um, I think most recently it's uh, patience. It's customers who are real thin uh, on time. Yeah. And it's those skills where, you know, you being really short with them, <laughs> is probably going to be the worst scenario. I, 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 it's yeah. like my knee, it's just bone on bone right now. And it's just not a good situation. And so that's where it's like, it, kill them with kindness, do whatever you can. Hey, we're going to get through this together. I know this is a tough situation. And just that extra compassion yeah. piece right now, I think is missing everywhere, but it's really, it's tough for us in our industry because we just don't have the number of vehicles we used to have. And now we have to teach that kind of, we're going to get through this together. Let me help you out. So that'd be the right now for sure. I think the second is everyone starts out at my company as a management trainee, and we are not hiring for that branch manager spot. You have to kind of earn that through. And so it's that inherent leadership of people to step up and say, 
well, that's not really my job. That's the manager's job. Or that's what's like, and I want people to say, hey, I just finished this task you gave me. Hey, what's next? What can we do next to help everyone leave the store on time and accomplish our goals for today? And so it's like, to get that job, you have to do that job. You know, that's like an old, like my right. grandpa probably told me that. And it's like, it's still true to this day where, right. you know, dress for the position that you want and do the job of what you want. And it was just, that to me was a, a real issue and probably still is. Before that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I think we really struggled. We were the big fish in town. You know, right. we had all the insurance companies on lockdown. If you had a Geico USA, you had to come to us. And so we just kind of got fat and happy and we didn't have to go actually sell, go try to find a new body shop or a dealership that has their own loaners or whatever that is. And so I'm like, well, you could still do that. Like, yes, you're making good money now, but if you were to sign that dealership, you'd make more. And so it's like, just to you know, kick them in the pants and go try to uh, grow your own business. And now that's all we do. It's funny because that's, that's a huge part of what it is. So it's really just kind of changed and it's identifying what those are. And that's a generalization. Every employee I have needs something different from me. And so it's knowing them on a personal level and being close to them where they're going to open up and tell you what they need, whether it's, you know, professionally or personally. And then you just help them attack their problems one at a time. And those are the people that stay. Those are the people that work harder for you. And that's how you can get results when you've got 300 people just rowing the boat your way. It, it's a really, it's a really good time. Yeah. The, the like sense of team and the sense of unity when you're working with a group of people, two, five, 10, right? It makes such a difference when you're in the boat and you're, you're working at something together. There's just something about that that's pretty powerful versus just doing it on your own and out for your own interest. Not that that can't be part of it, but ultimately that common bond makes it, I think, much more fulfilling. So let's talk a little bit about sales then in terms of, uh, the actual business development and what are your, without giving away your secret sauce, what are some of the things that work? What are, I mean, for me personally, like, well, I'm in the state now where I'm trying to do more business development. I've successfully avoided it for like the majority of (laughs) of this because I've had people tap me. Right. So I've not really had to push. And now I've created new goals for myself that I think are reach goals. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to be more out there and really work on the business development side of this business. So tell me like, whether it's me coaching me or someone even in your industry, what are some of the things that are tried and true and work? Well, I think it's the same things we've been talking about all day. I think it's (laughs) that ability to connect with somebody. Yeah. It's the ability to get past that first person on the phone whose job is to keep you away from talking to that person. Right. And I think the days of the cold calls are probably going away with LinkedIn and all the soft connections that you have there. You've got, you know, somebody in that business that knew somebody and you can get a connection that way. It's then having the soft skills to talk to that person on the phone and say, Hey, here's what I've got. I think it could be beneficial for both of us. You got 30 minutes next Tuesday and we just get together and I can show you what I've got. And it's just, it's that you've got to be able to take no. Rejection happens a lot in sales. And you've got to be consistent. And you can't think that, well, I, try, I called Chad a few times and he didn't win. Well, keep calling him. You've got nothing to lose if you've got the connection. And then eventually, I'll share a quick story with you. Yeah. I remember when I was back in Seattle, there was a huge body shop that just hated us, would never use us. And I would go in there every Wednesday and just say, hey, no problem. <laughs> Drop off a business card, say hi. Because we had the three body shops right next to them. And they're like, why wouldn't you use us? This makes no sense. And then, you know, after eight months of just no, 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 that shop owner was down traveling in Vegas and had an issue with his current provider, called me the next day and had 15 car rentals scheduled for me the very next day. And that wouldn't have happened had I not just been persistent and right. kept showing up, showing up, showing up. And again, that was kind of fortuitous timing for me, which people will say that I'm inherently very lucky. And, you know, <laughs> I think you make your own luck to all those haters out there. But in the end, I, it was my relationship with him. I never gave up. You have to be definitely persevere through a lot of no's. And then it's just that ability to connect. I think the widget or the product or whatever you're selling doesn't really matter. You buy from the person. And that's something I think really, oh, my product's no good or this. That's nothing to do with it. It's all you. Mm. And so just that connection piece, I think that would be the biggest thing. And how do you deal with the rejection? Do you just, do you not even, is it almost like immediate amnesia? Like you don't let it sink in or is it, it's just the nature of what, is right you so you know it's a part of the game like for people that are like sensitive souls <laughs> stay out of sales no uh no i oh so we'll, we'll rely on missy then to be our bd person <laughs> edit that part out uh i no. feel like every uh rejection is probably different meaning why are they not going with me and is it 
availability? Is it pricing? Is it, and it very rarely is it me. And so then when you think about the rejection, it's like, well, I, but maybe I could on this a little better. Okay. I probably could have, maybe I went too soon. Maybe I should have taken them out for one more line. You know, I like to make sure we were thinking about opportunities and how we could have done everything better. Mm-hmm. But in the end, like, what's the reason they didn't go with you? And then yeah. it's not you, you know, so it's usually something else. And I think the amnesia is great. And then I will always put an outlook in for 90 days from now and just follow up with that same person and just say, Hey, just chat again, just making sure. Because if something has changed in that 90 days, right, obviously with, you know, a year and a half ago or two years ago, people were telling us no all the time because they had their own trucks. They, they, they didn't right. need us. And now listen, you can't find a truck to save your life. And guess whose number they have. And they're calling me right now. Well, pretty soon we'll tell you six to nine months. I think the chip shortage is going to figure itself out. And then we're going to have to get back to work. People who sell stuff are like, oh man, I really need to like live up to what I said I was going to do. And I can't use that as an excuse for timelines anymore. So we got to go back to selling. So making sure we don't lose those skills right now where it's pretty easy if you have a commodity that's in high demand. And that's almost everything now. Yeah. I love what you said too, just about the 90 day lookout, like like putting the meeting on the calendar, almost like the regimen of what are the things that you do? Like you said, be consistent. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. If, if constantly, especially if you're uncomfortable, like you got to just put yourself out there. You got to continually do that. Let's talk a little bit about your, just one of the things I like to ask people. And I think you and I had a, a conversation sort of offline about this, but in terms of like situations that have shaped you or whether it's like when you were younger, maybe, or that helped contribute to kind of what a fighter you are. Tell me about like any scenarios or situations that have made an impact on you that sort of changed the way that you sort of decided to like navigate your path. Yeah, I can think of two or three examples. And it's actually about my grandparents and so having a conversation with my dad about his dad. And because when you're a kid, you don't know your grandparents, like how they were. You didn't know right. their spirit, their soul, their brain. You just knew him as a you know, guy with a beard that'd give you weird <laughs> hugs. It's like, okay, all right. And so when my dad told the story about uh, my grandpa, Ray, is uh, they had a small little uh, mechanic shop in a very small town. And there was a guy pulled in with his family in his truck and he had just four super bald tires and no money. And they're traveling. And so my grandpa told my dad, hey, Joe, put four tires on that. And he pulls grandpa's tires like, he's not going to, he can't pay you for this. And his answer is that he needs them worse than I do. And I don't know what four tires cost fast, 1965 mm-hmm. or whatever that was, but it was just one of those things where he needed it more than I did. Knowing that he was never going to pay, like, oh my God, I hear that story. It just like, it just changed. Like, man, I don't do anything like that. And then I hear about my grandma, who is a nurse in World War II, never said a bad word about anybody. And then I see my dad, another great salt of the earth that people just so fun and so positive. And I just see like this degradation of my family from like my grandma's mall to my dad. And I'm like, man, I'm a real piece of work over here. And I, you know, I thought I was doing a good job, but I just, you just don't really realize what that is. And so now I've got two boys of my own. And I, if you just follow that lineage, like they're going to be in jail. So I got to figure out like how I can just change my life and start doing things, not just for me, but for other people. And it really made me a happier person. And like, whether you don't have the opportunity to donate to anything, whether you, if you only have your time, you can give your time. But if you can't, you know, find, you know, any money to help out charities or organizations, you can always give your time. You can always hold the door for somebody. You can always just give somebody a smile. And so those little things, and once you start doing those, you see how rewarding it is for the person you held the door for. You see them, someone smile back at you, or you see when you go donate your time at a nonprofit and you see that organization just looking at you like you're a hero. And so those were the, like, kind of shaped me who I am. And then obviously when you have children, it really, like I mentioned earlier, just changed my priorities a lot. And I think that with where the world is now, like, I don't think it's up to us to fix it. I think it's too far gone for us, our generation. Our kids are going to be the ones that have to take all of these problems that we've and our parents mm-hmm. have created and solve them. And so it's giving them the tools and showing them the kind of like grandpa small and the grandma small story of like, yeah. this is what it could look like. Do you feel like having kids for you took you a little bit out of yourself, like from a kind of me first proposition? And, I, and I'm not saying that that's how you live your life. My wife would argue <laughs> that. Uh... I'm curious, though. I mean, I think it does. It, I know that did it for me. I mean, it, there's just something about being responsible for other humans and then the impact that has. So I'm just curious 
is that part of the equation? Yeah, just it, again, changes your priorities. I think you always are told what the word love means, right? right? Like I love my dad, I love my wife. And then you have a child and you're like, I love this thing more than I've ever loved anything in my life and will do anything to provide, protect. And it just, it kind of helped on my transition from me, 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 make all the money in the world to like, all right, let's focus on others. And what's funny is since I've had that strategy, it's actually helped me more at work. And it's just, I just want to continue to spread that message and why I'm here today and what we want the future to do. No, I I think that's so true. The more you can, I mean, really, frankly, that's why I left, you know, the professional services world, because ultimately I felt like I had this wealth of knowledge and how can I give back in a way? Like I was the benefit of this extraordinary place where there was tons of resources and I had a lot of development. And so I feel like there's such an opportunity to be able to give that back. And so that's essentially why I left. What about the competitiveness? So we had a conversation where you were saying that we were, we were bowling, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> no. And we had this whole conversation about you were like, I will win at everything. Right. So tell me where the, the where does the competition stuff come from? I have uh, no idea why that's my <laughs> in me. But I just have this sense of, like, I just don't want to lose. I'm a terrible loser. I hate the word no. I've only heard no a few times in my life. And it was, like, devastating to me. And it's just one of those things where I will give bowling, ping pong, you name it. I'm going to give it everything I've got because I want to be the best at that. And I can't tell you where that's from. It has to be from one of my parents. It has to be from playing sports as a kid. I played a lot of individual sports as a small child, golf, tennis, things you do by yourself. And then when you get a little older, then there are some team-based sports. And so I think it's just playing. And were you a smaller kid? I think you mentioned that to me too. So then it's like, if you're right, then you're going to sort of fight for every. Yes. I was uh, five to a hundred pounds my Mm -hmm. sophomore year of high school. I wrestled 101 pounds. And so you have to have a little chip on your shoulder when you're, uh, you got a mouth like this and you're pretty tiny. You have to learn to just be aggressive and just try to be the best at everything. I think that's really telling. And I think it's important for people to hear that regardless of, I I think people would look at you now, right? Both like even maybe your peers or, you know, young adults and be like, you know, he's got it made. Right. And your thing around, like, he's so lucky. There's like a horseshoe up his rear end and whatever that is. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's true. Right. Like, I think the truth is like, if you want to like peel back the curtain, the truth is like, here's someone who's worked really hard that's been very intentional about the way that you've gone after your life, that's had rejection, that's had difficulties and figured out ways to repeatedly sort of come out of that and and come out in a way that you feel like you're being fulfilled and that you feel confident about what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that's important for people to see that like, and I, and I think that's a big issue with like what, what frankly our kids face way more than we do around the whole social media vapor and that, you know, even us, right. When you see people on Facebook and all their travels, I'm like, is everybody going to Europe but me? Why is everybody else on these fantastic trips and I'm stuck here, you know? So I think there's something about it that eats a little bit at your soul of like, like, how do you feel about your life? Are you good with where you are? And that's all that really matters. Yeah. And I think that it, I would be the first to tell you that I gave 60 hours a week Every week for two, for ten years, my from twenty to thirty. See, that's important and, to know. And I, if, seriously, if you want to be at the top of your craft, whatever that is, you have to work and you have to be really coming early. Do what's ever necessary. I hate the phrase "I did my best." I hate that. Do what's necessary to get the job done. And so that's what I did for ten years. And then after ten years of just completely grinding that, I was afforded a district spot where then you didn't have to be in a store every day. You didn't have to open and close every store. And so then the next, you know three, four, five years were a little easier on my family. Work-life balance became better. And then I was able to spend more time with uh, Hillary and the boys. And now as I continue to move up, it's like, now I have all the time in the world and I still, perfect example, today I had to be here at 10 o'clock today. Right. I live 40 (laughs) seconds away. And I could have just had some coffee and had a house. I went to a store at seven in the morning, hung out there till 8.30 and then I came here. It's like, are you going to choose to do that or are you just going to have some coffee and show up at 10? Well, if you show up, right. have some kind of show up at 10, you can have a great life, but you're not going to have the one that you want. You know what I mean? You're not going to have what it takes some extra work to get that. 
Um, I hate it when people call us lucky. I absolutely hate that. That and the trade-offs, right? I think that's another thing that's like this enigma that like there aren't trade-offs for some of the decisions that you make or the work that you have to put in and the, the intentional aspect of it in terms of if you want a certain outcome, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen like, you know, out of like magic, right? You, there is something around that, that work ethic. And I think the, um, I don't, I hate it, such an overuse, but I do love it. The stick to of like not giving up. Tell me about moving for you all. And like you, you had just made a big move a few years ago. Mm-hmm. How was that? And it was for your job, right? Mm-hmm. So how was that on your family? I mean, that's asking a lot to take your wife and your boys across the entire country, right? To, to, cause you were out West and now you're here in Virginia. So tell me how that has been and what are some of the things that like lessons learned, or, or would you say like, if you were going to give counsel to someone that was in your same spot? If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com. Yeah, I think the hardest thing about it is making the decision to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you look at the opportunities, and, and Hillary has been very supportive of me my entire career. I actually met her at work, so she knows some of the struggles yeah. that I have every day. And she's a rock star. She kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, she kind of hitched herself to my way. She had to quit right. her job. The boys had to leave school. Hudson had to break up with his girlfriend. He was six. He was devastated. Oh. And uh, he couldn't even say her name. <laughs> he had to break up with Camille. He can't even say her name. But so we decided that that's the next opportunity for us was uh, if we really wanted to take this to the next level, really wanted to have the things that we wanted and provide and then do things besides what we were currently doing, this was the opportunity. It was a uh, the biggest move you could make from Seattle, Washington to Washington, D.C. is about as far <laughs> as you could possibly go. And uh, this particular region wasn't doing very well. And so that presents a lot of upside and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what you realize is for the first few months, all you have is each other. And it actually brings you your family a little closer. And I mean... Again, things work out for me. I'm not lucky, but Hillary's sister actually lived in, was at Fort Belfort mm-hmm. and her best friend was in Warrington. So to move 2000 miles away and for her to have a little support here really helped me out a lot. And then to come into this community, obviously yeah, you just, nice the, the schools were great. The boys had to kind of reestablish themselves and had to be a little more outgoing. And all of a sudden now they've got this great circle of friends. We have a great circle of friends here. So it it kind of makes you restart it because it's very easy just to rest on your laurels if you've been in the same place for 20 years and take for granted all those connections that you have. And I don't really need to work on this relationship because Teresa will always be there if I need her. It's like, well, now you don't have those. And now nobody knows you in any capacity. You kind of got to just show Like everyone. as old people too, right? Like there's all these built-in. I'm way, I'm way worse looking now. <laughs> I do. I think when you're older, you know, it's, it's, it's a different level of like, putting yourself out there and, and trying to make friends as an adult, it's not, it's not entirely easy uh, and like work And this, while this community is great, it's also kind of, um, it can be what's the word, like clickish, right? Like, so the, like the fact that you found good people and, and, and people that, you know, you want to spend time with is, is, is nice. Yeah. Well, DC is very transient. So that kind of works against yeah. you too. It's like, well, yeah. you're going to move in two years anyway. So why would yeah. I put all my eggs in this basket? And you're just going to move. And so that was the first thing that we kind of managed like, well, we're not moving. Maybe we are. I actually lied to people, but we're staying. Yeah. And I think too, I love what you said about the boys and, and even like that bringing you closer together, but then like rebranding. And I do think that like, you know, hardship builds character. I just, I really am a big believer that uh, through your sort of tougher experiences, you just can't realize the benefit of that until like, so now they have some fortitude that if they experience change, (laughs) they can do it because they've done it. And I think sometimes you don't know you can do things until you try it. Um, so that's, well, it's probably super hard to be the one that's like, okay, everybody back up on me. Yeah. Um, cause that's a lot on you, right. To shoulder that responsibility of like, God, I'm changing everybody's life sort of, but then to your point around it being a collective win, right. If, if it works well for you, then the family benefits from that. Right. Yep. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about um, just a couple more questions. One around like soft skills, which you've mentioned a lot. And I appreciate that you have the same passion that I do. Uh, I'm curious for you, what, if you had to pick one or two, and I think generally what I, what I mean by them, it's, you know, we've talked a lot about communication, but certainly like influence and collaboration and presentation skills. And, you know, there's all sorts. It's really more the like nuanced 
non-disciplinary skills. So for you, either personally or professionally, what are one or two that you think are just critical that if you can't spend some time developing them or mastering them, you will be blocked from progressing? Yeah, I think just the the communication is probably the one that will just, you just can't do the rest of those unless you can get in the door. And so I think being able to speak to someone that's different than you. Like right now we've got all, you know, all the students watching this have three or four really good friends and that's that's their clue. But you might really like Steve or Bob or Jamie. And you just don't go, you don't go talk to that person because you know, ah, I've got this right I don't here. need it. But yeah. the person you're going to interview with is going to be, could be completely different. If you're going to get a sales job, you have to be a chameleon. You've got to be able to relate to whatever they're talking about. If they don't talk about sailboats, like, I oh, might, you know, my uh, father-in-law had a sailboat for a long time. That's true. That's about all I know about it. I don't know which way aft is, but I'm going to do my best to try to uh, just find their common grounds yeah. and they want to what they talk about. So communication would be key, especially with adults, people dissimilar than yourself, people older than you. All of those things yeah. will work against you in the next scenario. And then just that flexibility and the grit that I mentioned earlier, like it's not called go to fun. It's called go to work. <laughs> and if you are at a spot that you really like, like give it a chance, give it a, give it a few years and commit to it. And then if you realize it's a bad fit, then reach out to your, to your, to your mentors. And that's one of those things where I love this podcast is everyone who's on this would, would do this for free because yeah. we care about the future. Yeah. And so those things where I would offer my skills to anyone who's going through a tough time, like come talk about it. And what I found is this next generation of people has thought that it is a sign of weakness to ask for help. I know. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. It really is. You know, I expect you to handle problems, you know, one through six on the spectrum, like someone at your lunch, like, okay, we're going to get through this, right? <laughs> but problems seven, eight, nine, ten, like, yeah. man, reach out for help. Talk to some people who've been there so we can help you navigate that and say, is that really why you're going to leave or why you're unhappy or why you had a bad day? Yeah. And so just being able to ask for help and communicating I just have to stick on those. I love that. I love the grit plus asking for help. It's such a great sort of dichotomy of you want people to be able to have the confidence that they can get through things, right? You like, And so sometimes you do have to push yourself to do things that aren't comfortable or that you wouldn't normally do. And then on the, on the other hand, knowing when to raise the white flag and to say, I don't, I don't know enough was so interesting. I'm working with a good friend of ours right now. That's helping me with my website. And, um, for the last year and a half, I have this whole (laughs) sort of duct tape popsicle stick thing happening. And I've got three different people. I got, he, he said, sometimes you just got to find the vendor or the person or the thing that does it the best. And that's what you use. And they're that way for a reason. So it's not like you have to always do everything yourself. Like there are times when the help actually makes you stronger, makes you better, but being aware enough to say, I need the help and vulnerable enough to say that you need the help. Like those are, you know, in line with what you're talking about. And I feel like they're really super important. And then I think just lastly, just given everything we've talked about, and I think you've given so much advice along the way, I am curious if you think about young Chad, uh, you know, and now after maybe that like 102 pound Chad, but like scrappy, (laughs) scrappy Chad, when you think about like the last 20 years, maybe plus if we go back that far, but not too far, like what advice would you give him? Right. Is there anything that you would say that would help it make it a little bit easier for him? Right. Or something that you think would, um, I mean, obviously it seems like you're someone who sort of seizes opportunities and don't have a lot of regrets and it's not really about regrets. It's more just like what advice or what counsel would you give? Yeah. So two things, one I did, one I didn't do. I think that (laughs) when I started working, my dad told me to put 15% of my paycheck into my retirement account. And I was like, dad, I'm living in Seattle. This check is like $750. And he's like, trust me, you're a spender. If they take it out before you even see it. Yeah. And it's been 19 years and that's what's really like, that'd be the first thing. So whether you think you can afford it or not, 15% into your retirement account right off the bat. The thing I didn't do is I didn't listen. I didn't respect others' ideas and opinions because I thought that I was always right. And I'm sure along the way, and I can think of several examples where I probably hurt myself 
by thinking that I was always right and not asking for help and not just listening to the counsel of people that were my mentors, people that were trying to help me, people who were in charge of me and giving me the things that were holding me back. And I was like, you don't know anything. And so as soon as you can get to that, like, you know what, whether they know something or not, I'm going to listen and I'm going to go back home and I'm going to write down what they said, because if I write something down, I'll remember it forever. If you just talk to me, I'm like, what we talk about? Mm -hmm. So as soon as I'm done with that conversation, I'm going to write it down and I'll remember it forever. And if I just wish I would have come to that at 23, 24, not 28, 29, I probably would be in a better situation. What do you think gets in the way? Is it ego? Like, what is it that it gets in the way of not hearing and not listening? I couldn't tell you what it is for everybody. But for me, it's just I thought I was never wrong. I thought I was infallible. I was young and successful and everything was going right. It's like, why would I need any additional information? But and I think everyone has a little bit of that in them. Right. And it's just being able to identify that. And if I could have identified that earlier and then realizing that the people who were telling me that weren't bossing me around, they were just giving me another idea. Right. And maybe it was just like, Hey, we like your idea, but move this part over here and move that there. And it's like, Holy cow, we could have changed the world. And I was just pretty thick headed, honestly. Yeah. No, I think there's times when you can get set and you, and because of that, you don't see the opportunities or the potential because you, you're sort of narrow in your view of whatever is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that in any age, that's true. Like, I think if you can push yourself to be open and maybe you don't know everything, it actually would really benefit you. Even if it's even, working, even if yeah. what you're doing is working, yeah. there's still opportunity to make that better or make yeah. it easier or. Dude, this was awesome. Yeah. I want to be invited back. (laughs) Thank you, Chad. It was amazing. So fun to have you. And we will have you back for sure. All right. See ya. Peace out. Thank you, Chad. What an awesome conversation. I so appreciate you being our quote unquote guinea pig for the studio and really enjoyed all of your insight and advice. Your passion for developing others is palpable. I really enjoyed hearing about what you do to stay positive and everything that you have learned along the way and your willingness to share that with with our listeners and our audience. Thank you to Missy and our friends at Castos for producing this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and rate Relatable. We can be found on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. Check out our website at www.tfasoftskills.com for more information on how we can best support your soft skills needs. Until next time, stay connected.